Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Peggy Townsend. Peggy is an award-winning journalist and author whose work has appeared in Globe Magazine, Santa Cruz Noir, and the San Francisco Chronicle, among other publications. An avid outdoors person, Townsend lived for two weeks out of her van, hiking the Alaskan wilderness along backgrounds and coming face-to-face with a pair of grizzly bears in researching this novel, The Beautiful in the Wild. Welcome, Peggy. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. and. Uh, ah. Actually, it was seven weeks in my van, which is a whole, <laughs> which is a whole different animal living for seven weeks in a tiny yes. space. So with a yes. husband. Yes. <laughs> and, and you both emerged alive. That's incredible. It, yes, it was. <laughs> the grizzly bears might not have been the most dangerous animal on that trip. <laughs> I was going to say that there was a few times where you were wondering, hmm, Who's going to survive this one? Exactly. Well, I would, I would, I would have total faith it would be you, Peggy. But I'm glad you both came back. So that that's good. Can you? Will you tell our listeners a little bit about the beautiful in the wild? Sure, sure. It's um, it's a cross between a domestic suspense and a survival kind of thriller. That's about a woman named Liv who um, gets this cryptic text that indicates that her husband, who she thought was dead, is actually alive and. With kind of nothing left to lose um, and a whole bunch of her own secrets, she heads north to Alaska with her um, developmentally delayed seven-year-old son to see if what she thinks is true. And sure enough, she finds her husband there living in a little corner of the wilderness in a small cabin with his own secrets. And the story kind of goes from there um, in her need to get out of there with her son and there's all kinds of dangers she faces grizzly bears like yeah. you talked about, um, starvation storms um and another threat which is her husband's secret which i won't tell here because it's a spoiler so fair we will not talk about that but there are so many threats and her husband i mean i think we it's not a spoiler to say that he he's holding her there i mean he He's basically saying he wants her to stay, and in particular, he's not going to let her take her their son, and he wants to keep his kid, you know, with him. And of course, no mother, it living included, is going to leave without her child. So that right. is, that's a and you know, go that's ahead. what drives her that to to get out of there with her son, you right? Know? And right. Um, yes, her husband turns into a very cruel man. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He's he, yeah. He's definitely, yeah. We'll leave it at that. He's he is. He's cruel. Um. So tell me. I mean, you talk a little bit about this in your in the reader's letter, which I love, and I won't. I'm not going to read that. But would you tell us a little bit about the seed for the story? I think it's so interesting. Sure. Um, the seed for this. There was a couple seeds. One is I'm a journalist, so I was thinking a lot about secrets. So that was kind of the first seed. But the second seed happened. Uh, when I was in Alaska and we were going fishing, we were hiking into this river to fish for sockeye salmon. And um, it was late at night. 
in the middle of summer, so it's like 1030 at night, but still light. And we come around the corner and across the stream, maybe 25 feet are a pair of grizzly bears. So of course my heart stops. Um, but my son, who was in his 20s then, um, he had brought a bear gun along, which I didn't know, but he, he pulls out his gun and a very calm voice tells us, turn around, walk slowly away, and he stands guard while we leave. And then later he follows behind us. And for me, it was the first time, like I'd spent my whole life keeping him safe and helping him survive. Right. And this was the first time he became my protector. Yeah. And so it, I had this thought about how love is such an important part of survival that um, in order to survive, we have to have love. Um, and I, I watched that TV show called Alone. I don't yeah. know if you watched it, but they drop yeah. off people in the wilderness. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And some of them drop out because they're starving. Some drop out because they're hurt or get ill. But many of them, I would say most of them drop out because they miss the people they love. Yeah. And so for me, I, I was just thinking that you have to have love to survive. Yes, I think that is so true. And Alaska is, it's, is such an unusual beast, right? It's a place that really attracts, you know, end of the rotors and um i'm curious to know because we you know this is sort of part and it, it depends on everyone's process but i wonder about this location was it you know was sort of the thing that called to you the the setting of the story or the story you know or you thought of the story and knew that it had to be set there because to me i think it, in especially with alaska it could have gone either way yeah, I think I came up with the story first, but then I decided to set it there. Because um, like I said, my husband and I spent seven weeks in our van in Alaska, and we would end up camping in places where there, on this beautiful lake where there wasn't a soul around. Yeah. Um, and we would see these mountains and we think, oh, we'd love to hike to those mountains or mountain bike to them. And they'd be miles and miles away. <laughs> so the yeah. scale and the beauty is just yeah. You can't even describe it. it it's, you have nothing to compare it to except if you've been in Alaska. So I thought when I was thinking about secrets, I thought this is a great place to hide, A, but it's also the harshness of it. I guess it scrapes away the layers of your protection and really yeah. reveals who you are. Yeah. And so for me, Liv did that. I mean, she was in this wilderness and it scraped her raw and she found her true self. Yes. Yeah. And it's very powerful. I think that's exactly right. I think what it was, what it took physically and emotionally, right. Is, is the ultimate test for her. And I, you know, and we're not going to talk about the ending, but very, very satisfying uh, what, how she emerges. So, um, and I don't think like, you know, having read this book and, and loved it, I don't, it's hard to imagine it's anywhere else. Right. It just really, it's, it's, I can't imagine. So it's a beautiful, it's the pairing of the two, you know, in that place and the story are so perfect. So well, it's thank wonderful. You. Thank you. So, so there are actually at the cabin and I'm not, I'm not spoiling anything. I think by saying this, there are, you know, there are, you know, really there's six people. Am I doing that right? Two, three, four. Yeah. There are, yeah. there's two children um, and the other boy has a mother named Diana. And then there's a, a woman who is 
the husband Mark has this sort of partnership ro romantic relationship with a, wo a younger woman named Angela so there's a whole sort of host of characters and one of the thing I found super interesting was the dynamic between those three women right there's Liv who showed up she did not choose this um, just as they're, you know, wants to find out if her husband is alive and if they have a future together. And then there's Angela, who very much is, you know, this is the, she seems to have envisioned this life for herself. She wants to be Mark's partner. She want they want this sort of open, loving sort of, you know, it, it feels like a communal living kind of, um, you know, oh, free love or sort of situation. And, and then Diana, who is, you know, sort of the quintessential back, woods woman she's very you know strong and she she guides and so she's she's in and out a little bit but one of the things i thought really interesting is that angela wants very badly to have a baby she wants to have mark's baby and it becomes a sort of currency between the three women that two you know that two of them have mark have children right um and you know mark is taking them under the you know ownership of his children so it, and yet angela does not and it's it's an interesting way to sort of for these women to sort of relate, but it makes sense too, right? You know, talk about that for us because the dynamic I thought was so interesting. And how did that come to be? And sort of, you know, and what were you intentional with the idea that there is something about women that that children, the ability to give birth becomes this sort of power or I don't even know what exactly to call it, but right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think, you know, intentionally as a writer yourself, you know, that sometimes things happen that you don't plan to happen. Yes. So this kind of came together organically, but I think historically women have always been valued for how, whether they can bear children. I mean, you yeah. look at royalty, right? It's like they, the women are married so they can have an heir, you know, women were prized so they, if they could have a lot of children and, you know, bring wealth to the family that way. Um, I think that, um, you know, that's an interesting dynamic. Um, I've actually been watching um, Lessons in Chemistry, which oh. is set in the 50s. Yeah. And it very much brought to mind that idea that women are identified by if they can have children or not, you know, right. because this, this woman is like, you know, discriminated against because she gets pregnant, right? right? So I think that idea of, you know, modern women facing those old ideas of what a woman is was really interesting. Um, look, I also, you know, I kind of, I think that um, bits of that reverberate through today. I mean, I still think if you look around, yeah. this idea about women giving birth or not, you know, is still reverberates through our culture. And I mean, we've come a long way. Yeah. But um, as I wrote it, I, I became more and more the realization that that was an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Three women you know it's huh. and it's the ultimate patriarchy right because mark is in charge right and there's only one of him and you know and he he doles out you know with the support really mostly from angela who you know who wants to please him and is you know wants a relationship with him but it's a very there's there's not a lot of room for anybody else's opinion um besides mark's and that is very it's a it's a it, from coming from a modern world it's a for live it's a very interesting 
a, a, a difficult thing to get used to in this new environment that she's in. And I think to, to your point about, you know, valued for having babies, I think even like, you know, women who struggle with infertility, there is this sense that they're somehow worth less, you know, and, 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 it, and it becomes so, you know, tied into their self-esteem. And it, I, you know, I have lots of friends who struggled and it is, it's just sort of like it's something they have no control over, and yet it does really impact how they see themselves, how they're seen by society. And in yes. addition to women who choose not to have kids, right? That's another one. So yeah, it's a very fraught decision, you know, very fraught um, issue for women that men don't have, you know. Mm -mm. I think no, and I think it drives us in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and so yeah, I wanted I wanted to explore that. Um, I, it, it was interesting. The other thing that came up is you know I interviewed um, women that were in a polyamorous relationship. Yeah, and I read books and you know um, I read a lot about it. And the the interesting thing it felt to me now I just don't understand, but there's always that one person being the dominant, you know, and often yeah. it's male who manipulated the women around him. And even though these women were amazing and smart, I just couldn't help but think, you know, he, this person was playing on their, their, their insecurities, maybe their weaknesses, yeah. their roles. Um, I, I found yeah. it really interesting. And so, you know, while the people that I interviewed and the reading I did, what wasn't like my character, Mark, right. there was right. little bits. Yeah. So I mean, there is, I mean, he has that sort of the power of persuasion and, um, and he does, he, and, and he pits them against each other in very subtle ways, which, you know, it's interesting how they all, we all sort of naturally seek the approval of whoever feels like they're in charge. And that is interesting too. And that appears in the book and, and it's a, it's a real power dynamic, even though these three women could absolutely have taken Mark out if they wanted to, right? I mean, they could have just like tied him up, you know, like nine to five style and left him. But no, they, you know, because he does, he gets into their skin and into their psyches. And so let's talk about their childhoods because I think that's a really sort of natural um, segue into that conversation because of course we are, there's all that, even this, this little T trauma that we come out of our childhood with, right? And mm -hmm. so each of these women had difficult sort of and mark as well right traumatic childhoods and they and they serve these characters in different ways so can you talk about sort of the thought process in that and sort of you know how those came to be to serve those characters yeah i think there's a couple of ways one um i'll talk about the one that's not so personal but um you know i was a newspaper reporter for a long time yeah. and um I did a story about uh, kids that lived on the streets. And so I became well acquainted, I wouldn't say friends, but I came well acquainted with them. And there was this little kid named Shorty and he lived with his mom. They lived in their car and she, they got into an argument one day because they had worked and the mom wanted to take the money that he earned and he wanted to keep the money. And she opened the door and threw him out of the car and left him and he was on his own. He was 13 years old. Mm. And so, you know, I hung around Shorty and I, I would sit and I would pan, sit while he panhandled. And two things happened. One, the way people walked by and didn't see him at all, he was invisible. 
just mm. broke my heart. And then yeah. the the way that he had been so wounded in his life, and yet he was this kind of resilient kid, you know. <laughs> yeah. He figured out a way to live, you know. He, you know, he would sneak on Greyhound buses to go somewhere to visit a, you know, somebody he knew, and um, and so that idea of childhood molding us and that yet how we escape with the because we have a resiliency really struck with me and so these people all are wounded in certain ways but I wanted to have the resiliency of some of them come through um and especially that was in the little boy Rudy yes I love Rudy yeah I do too he kind of was reminding me of Shorty um yeah and so yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, that idea of rising from the ashes of our childhoods, you know, I thought I wanted to tell that story a little bit too. You know, as a journalist, you have all these experiences that just kind of creep into your fiction writing. Absolutely. Yeah. You have, and you can't, you, you really can't explore them on an emotional level as a journalist, right? I mean, you can sometimes, but not as often, right? It's more, right. It's more limited and you get so much more freedom with, with the fiction. And, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting is, you know, Rudy, and speaking of Rudy, who also I adore. And um, anyway, I won't tell, I won't talk about the end, although I also adore that. Um, but is the, is the difference between those two mothers, right? I mean, you know, Liv is, and, the, and both boys have, you know, I mean, obviously Rudy isn't developmentally delayed, um, but he he has his own challenges, and the way those two mothers mother is so different, right? Um, and I found that really the sort of the the relationship between Rudy and Liv was also very touching, right? Because she saw this this need in him for a different type of mothering, you know, a more. I mean, Diana's very hands off and at times seems, you know, almost to leave Rudy to the elements. Um, and so, you know, and of course, Liv is, that's, you know, that is not her style. So that is interesting also in sort of how it informs the, those two kids and also those moms. So, you know, I wanted to sort of ask about that. Diana has a very blase relationship with her, with being a mother and Liv does not. Um, you know, you know, what drove that decision and, and how did that, ha- you know, how did that happen? Because, Diana style is, it's, you know, it, it makes us look at her and think, okay, whoa, what is this woman doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there'll be, I think Diana has a lot of layers to her as yes. well, but um, I also, you know, that kind of idea rose out of my journalism career as well, you know, um, where kids seek love, you know, um, and, you know, there's this little kid that I met um, in a very poor section of our town, um, and his mom was a prostitute, and he, his mom got arrested, and he was hiding out from Child Protective Services and the cops, because as soon as his mom got out of jail, he wanted to go back with her, yeah. so his mom was a drug addict, she was, you know, um, in into prostitution, she was kind of a neglectful mom, but he loved her and his whole yeah. goal was to get back to her. His whole goal was to have that love. And, and sometimes when, when I was with the homeless kids that, you know, sometimes some, one would just come and lean up against me just to have a touch, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and I think that, you know, that's another thing about love, but love drives us in so many ways and kids yeah. seek love wherever they can find it. And some moms are able to give it better than other moms. Exactly. Know? Exactly. And I, and I also think it's an interesting, like if you all the, the only love, you know, is that kind of love, right. Then that becomes the love that you seek. And that is sort of where things happen. Like they've happened to these people who's own relationships with their parents were, were um, difficult, you know, and Liv in particular had a very, you know, she had a, not a very nice mother. And I think it drives sort of what, I think we were a pendulum, right? We think we're not going to do the things our mother did to us. So then we do all these other things that are, that are, you know, <laughs> that are probably equally damaging, but at least they're not the things that, that are, you know, that our mom did to us. So. Right. Right. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. I think that's, yeah, I think that's exactly true. So, but I think, I think one of the things sort of, you know, the unexpected, when I was reading the story, I really thought, you know, when I got, came into it, I thought, okay, this is going to be a story about Mark and, and, and Liv and their son. And it really became this, it really was very much about those, the women and the interactions and the, and the power dynamic and the struggle. And, and Mark, you know, obviously he, he created that current, right? He, he stuck his finger in when it, when, you know, he needed something to happen and made, you know, manipulate it from the outside. But really those three women did plenty of damage to one another all on their own. And that I think was really interesting because it's very normal. I think in a place like that, you want, you of course want to be top dog, right? Because it, it ensures your physical safety, safety as well as your emotional safety and your place in the home. So it's really just so, so powerful and, and, and wonderful. I, I wonder about the way you did this. Are you a, you know, do you, did you plan it all out? How, you know, how much of the story do you know before you write it? Is it sort of, is that your, is that how you usually do it? Tell us about that, your process. Um, sure. I, I'm kind of a combo, I guess. Um, so I usually have the first scene in my head that like pops in and I see the scene. It's very cinematic. I have it. And I know the ending some for some reason I know those two yeah and then I think oh my gosh how am I going to get from there to here yeah so I um so then I outline because okay. and I'm I do like chapter by chapter very meticulous outlining because I don't know what you call this but I hate the books where you read it and at the end it's like ta-da yeah how did you get there I you know yeah. there was nothing um what I, what I love are the books when you get to the end and you say, oh my gosh, of course. Yes. And right. you, then you can look back and you see all the clues, the little things yep. that were there that maybe you missed. It's very yep. logical. Um, and so I, um, so, so I, I have to, you know, plan, I have to make that. So it happens. Um, I also, um, I, I, I can recommend this to lots to writers is I hired a development editor to read yes. it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think writing is creative, but it's also a business. Yes. And so you have to invest in your own work. And so yeah. I, I hired this wonderful development editor and she found a couple of holes in there that I thought I'd planned for. She says, well, what happened? Why not this? And I was like, oh, oh, right. oh. 
It's true. I mean, two heads are better than one when it comes to sort of just making sure you have capitalized on every opportunity in a story, because I don't think we can see, I mean, it's, it's sort of like seeing the faults in your own children, right? You know, we're, we're a little blind to them. We're like, oh no, no, they're perfect. They're totally perfect. So um, no, I, I think, and I, I think that is a really, it's a great piece of advice. I think it is absolutely, and it's, and I think doing it once the book is done, you know, is a, you know, is powerful because you've done the best, you've presented the best you can, and then somebody else can help you sort of elevate it. Right. I, I think, um, you know, I have a wonderful writing workshop group, um, and they're so supportive as I'm going along, but yes. to have a person that is, you know, they're a professional, they're yep. not there to please you, to make you feel yeah. happy. They're there to say, I'm going to make your book the best it can be. Yes. And um, and like I said, this was a hole you could have driven a truck through. It was <laughs> You're like, terrible. It, well, it's, it is funny. I mean, I think that's right. You, you look back and think, oh God, how did I possibly miss that? But again, you're in the weeds with it. So it makes, to me as a you know, fellow author, it makes perfect sense that you would have overlooked it. And, and even your best sort of, you know, your best readers who aren't professionals miss those things. And we're used to reading books just for pleasure. So sometimes we're like, oh, it's great. You know, we don't, we don't dig into the nitty gritty the way an actual editor does. And our publishers don't do it the way they used to, right? Mm -hmm. It isn't, it's their, you know, they don't, they have too many books and too many um, other priorities. So I think for them, it's a, it's a really beneficial for us to come with the best, best, best book we can. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of obsessive about that. So, you know, I want to turn in the best thing I, I can and feel really confident about it and not, yeah. not have to worry that some, when the book is printed and I look at it and then, and then I realize there's a mistake, right? Oh God. Right. Yeah. No, that's horrible. That's don't even say that. Banish that thought. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, so tell us, you know, I mean, and we're, you know, we're celebrating this you know, beautiful book and also this beautiful cover. I don't know if I held it up long enough, but I love that it's the backdrop is, you know, is the Alaska and then her, you know, the woman's face. And even that, like, it almost looks like an eye. It's really powerful. They did a wonderful job. Um, yeah. For the, for those people who buy a book by its cover, this one is going to get bought. <laughs> so tell, um, tell us what you're working on now. It's like the worst question for an author. You're like, I, I want to just celebrate for a moment, the book I came out, but I, it's not how it works. And we know you're already at work on something else. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, sure. Um, I, I actually just finished it and um, just about ready to send it off to my editor. Um, so it's this is another story that's set in the wilderness, um, but it's set in Oregon. And it's about a, a female hermit who meets a runaway young girl in the mm -hmm. woods. And they're both being hunted and they're both running from something towards something. And so um, it's a lot about their relationship. Um, it's about a lot about being in the in nature, in the woods. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you another, do that. Sorry, go ahead. I say it's, it's another kind of survival thriller. So. Well, you do that so well. And there's the survival. There's the physical elements of survival. And there are, like you said, there's some storms and there's concerns about food and about water and. Um, but it, in addition, it, you weave it so beautifully into sort of the emotional survival, which is what I like, because it's fun to read about survival, you know, like the shows like Alone, but to read sort of how that impacts us emotionally and creates, you know, sort of extra anxiety and concern and, um, 
is really, it's so powerful. And then how we emerge, if we can emerge, how we emerge. And so, and that is beautiful. And the ending, it's really, really, really lovely. I was so, so pleased. So um, it's not a, you know, it's, it's not without its sacrifices and complications, but it's beautifully done. And I am. Um, Anyway, I, I loved it. And you are, you heard that I one of my favorite quotes is in here. Um, I I read it on my, if you didn't listen to it, you didn't hear it, it's on my, my um, quote of the week on a Monday um, here. You can find it on my social media. But Peggy, congratulations on an incredible book. And um, I, I hope it sells a million copies. Oh, thank you. I do too. And I so appreciate talking with you and you reaching out to talk to me about my book. Um, yeah. It's a, it's an amazing process to produce a book. So um, thank you for celebrating that with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I thank you to Lauren Jaggers, who's your um, publicist, who's always sends me the best books. He's like, you got to read this one. You got to, I, I am so grateful to him. He, he provides, you know, a lot of my best, most favorite books. So he's brilliant as well. And that's at Berkeley. Um, everybody, this has been Killer Women with Peggy Townsend. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time.